0: In a world of career uncertainty, there is one variable you have total control over, yourself. Welcome to Forever Employable Stories, where expert digital transformation consultant and successful entrepreneur Jeff Gotthelf will share conversations with unique and inspiring individuals who have taken charge of their professional lives, leveraged their expertise, built an audience, and future-proofed their careers so you can learn how to do the same. Here's your host, Jeff Gotthelp. After 12 years teaching psychology at the University of Kent, Tendai Vicky found himself in a tough spot. He had an established career in academia, a growing family, and no clear sense of how to ensure he stays employed, employable, and financially stable. Having seen true poverty growing up in Africa, Tendai said he was motivated by fear of not being able to care for his family as he got older. Paying attention to recent trends in the world around him, Tendai recognized an increased focus on and need for usability researchers. His background in psychology and statistics made him an obvious candidate to move into the world of user experience. Not waiting around for research opportunities to find him, he reached out to someone he knew who was looking for help in designing research studies. While this got him on the path towards the world of digital product design and development, it wasn't enough to sustain his family despite teaching full-time and consulting on the side. Initially, this seemed like a dead end, but a lucky break got him invited for a year to teach and work at Stanford University in California. Now, it may seem like this type of luck strikes many of the folks who have been featured on Forever Employable Stories, but it's worth pointing out that luck is what happens when opportunity meets preparation. Tendai was prepared for his next step in his career, and when the opportunity presented itself, he took the risk. He wasn't sure where it was going to lead, but the status quo wasn't leading anywhere either. So he decided to give it a shot. Despite moving to a new country with a young child and one on the way, and oh yeah, no health insurance. Listen to Tendai's story now. Super excited to be here today. I've got innovation consultant extraordinaire, professor, author, public speaker, column writer, and someone I'm super, super thrilled to call my friend Tendai Vicky with me today and for our latest in the Forever Employable Stories series. And I'm really excited to to chat with you. You and I, we get to chat every now and again. We had a chat recently on your webinar, which was a lot of fun. I got to do most of the talking. I thought I'd return the favor and let you do all the talking on this end of things. So I'm really thrilled that you're here today. Tell us your story.
1: Yeah, yo, man. Thank you. It's really cool to hang out with you again. I think I know. I you a lot. On the internet these days. Like every time I turn an internet corner, you're there somewhere.
0: I I turn an internet (laughs) corner.
1: I can't shake you.
0: (laughs) I'm around every internet (laughs) corner. I want to put that in my bio, my profile bio. (laughs) It's cool to be here, man. Thank you. Thank you. I'm thrilled for people to hear your story because I think that you're a really great example of becoming forever employable. You had a career track that you were on. I'm going to let you tell your story in just a second. And since then, you've really built off of that and expanded it. So as we dive into this, give us a little bit kind of like the TLDR kind of elevator pitch about yourself and, and your career sort of in general. We'll, and we'll dig into the details in just a second.
1: Yeah. So I'm a former academic. I Congratulations. Thought I, was, <laughs> I thought I was going to spend my life, you know, writing <laughs> papers and, and giving classes. You
0: found the antidote?
1: <laughs> I found the antidote to that dilemma, yeah. You know, the stakes are so low in academia, that's why we what, argue so much. What did you teach? I taught psychology, so I'm actually a psychologist. I did um, organizational behavior, mostly focused on like intergroup dynamics, so that was like the big area that I was, I was kind of working in. I was also an expert on research methodologies and statistics, so I taught the undergrad course on that <laughs> for a long time. And I thought that's what I was going to do for a while, until I woke up with the. Pretty upset wife and three kids and no money. <laughs> 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 I didn't pay that well. My wife was also doing uh, studying her PhD at the time. And we'd be like swapping babies in the car park. <laughs> and be, you know, We couldn't afford to you know, put them in the daycare center. Right,
0: right. So like, it
1: was just insane. It was just a crazy period. So I, I started thinking about how I could make... I thought I was going to be an academic all my life and consult on the side. Right. But actually what happened is I am now a consultant and I'm an academic
0: on the side. (laughs) So that kind of flipped over, yeah. That's amazing. And so how long were you in academia? 12 years. 12 years of teaching. Where were you teaching? At the University of Kent. In the book, Forever Employable, I talk about several qualities that help folks become forever employable. In your case, I see a lot of emphasis on continuous improvement, entrepreneurialism, and reinvention. There's five qualities in the book, including learning and self-confidence, and and I'm not saying you lack those at all, but I want to focus specifically on continuous improvement, entrepreneurialism, and reinvention. And so let's talk about coming out of academia Mm -hmm. and sort of this concept of of reinvention. You start off in academia and you decide to reinvent yourself. Was there a story, were there things that happened during your academic career that helped you build up that self-confidence to reinvent yourself? You know, it's a big step, especially 12 years of doing the same thing and something you thought you'd be doing forever. What's helped you build up the self-confidence and how did you think about where to reinvent yourself?
1: So here's the interesting thing. I'm glad that, you know, self-confidence is not one of the things you're making me focus on because I don't have any. You know, no (laughs) self-confidence. I've got very low self-confidence. I'm more driven by ambition and fear. Huh. (laughs) Uh Huh. A fear of waking up one day And not being able to care for my family as I get older and there's competition in the marketplace for for various things, I'm kind of struck by that fear. Like I'm really scared of of not being able to take care of my family. And so that's what drives me. So the entrepreneurial thing came with trying to deal with that because my kids are right there and there's a certain standard of life that I like for them to have. I'd like my wife to smile at me when I come through the door, (laughs) those kinds of things. And so that's what drove me. And the way I started sort of thinking about how to, branch out was I rooted myself in my discipline, which is psychology. So I thought I might be a usability consultant, right? So
0: Mm. lots of money there.
1: (laughs) (laughs) So doing like user testing and and all these things. So I kind of just emailed a guy out of the blue and said, I see you run a usability firm. I'm a psychologist. I can help you with doing various kinds of design, experiment designs. And then he was like, yeah, come on board. And so he gave me a couple of gigs and then he was like, I really like working with you. And then after a while, he gave me even more work, you know, actually, like, without specializing on my statistics expertise. Mm-hmm. And I was kind of working with him on that. And, and it was okay. I was getting by. But it wasn't enough. But I couldn't really see a way out of that. Right? And then I got a lucky break. Mm-hmm. And the lucky break was oh, yeah. I was at a psychology conference. And there was a lady there who was a professor from Stanford. And she liked my work as a psychologist. <laughs> And so she invited me to spend a year at Stanford as a research fellow. Wow. Fully funded, fully paid. So I get to Stanford and I realize I'm in Silicon Valley. So that's how like dumb academic I was. I didn't even know Stanford was in Silicon Valley. (laughs) Wow. Because I was so like in psychology, I didn't live in the business world at all. Right. And so I'm now there. And it's really interesting because You start bumping into people and the Stanford credential opens doors. Like, I'm in Stanford, anyone will have coffee with you, right? Because they probably think you're like, you could be a Google founder or something. And so I got into the d-school environment there, going to the talks, you know, going to the Facebook's first incubator, probably the only one they ever ran, actually. Dave McClure was was actually running it. Yeah. So that was also like on University Avenue. So I used to go hang out there. That's where I saw the the founders of um, Lyft, actually. Oh, wow. Yeah, and they were called Zimride at the time. Right. So I went to them. I was like, why are you called Zimride? Have you ever been to Zimbabwe? You know, <laughs> and he was like, yeah, I've been to Zimbabwe. That's why it's called Zimride. Because when I was in Zimbabwe, I saw people doing ride sharing. Uh-huh. And so I was like, I'm from Zimbabwe. And then we kind of had lunch. John Zimmer is his name. Yeah, I had lunch with John Zimmer. <laughs> but I don't think he remembers me these days. But right. before they became Lyft, they were being incubated in that Facebook incubator. And so I could really see the links from my usability interest into the startup space, the agile space, the lean startup space. So the the threads kind of pulled me in in that direction. And I just thought, right,
0: this is what I'm doing. Let me ask you a question. This is really interesting to me. So this lucky break, right? There's a lot of folks who look at people who have built platforms for themselves, people who are recognized experts or thought leaders, right? And they say, oh, they got lucky. They got a lucky break. And I think people like you and me will also say, we got a lucky break. But as I was writing this book, one of the things that really dawned on me was that, I love that saying by Seneca, the old philosopher, where he says, luck is when opportunity meets preparation, right? And so, yes, you were lucky, that lucky break, right? But I think in many ways, right, you were prepared for that opportunity, right? You would step mm-hmm. out of academia. Mm-hmm you were expanding your horizons, you were looking for the next best thing for yourself, and then the opportunity presented itself. Now, the interesting thing here is you said you have no self-confidence, I'm gonna push back a little bit, right? right? How many kids do you have at this point before you moved to Stanford? Before I moved to Stanford, I had one and my wife was pregnant. Okay, so you moved to Stanford- yes. With one and a half kids- Yes. En route, right? I just wanna call out, you said earlier, you said, I don't have any self-confidence, I'm very low on that. I don't see it. Like I see preparation and opportunity and then being willing to take that chance, a big deal. It's a big deal to make that hop over there. So I just wanted to call that out Like to see that's what you're doing. So tell me about this, right? So you're in Silicon Valley, you're starting to get steeped in this kind of lean startup, you know, startup culture, lean, agile, design thinking. You're at the D school, right? Design thinking's coming out of all of that. You take that and then how do you start to apply that you're a psychologist your statistician, how are you blending all that stuff and where does it take you from there?
1: Yeah, it was crazy. It was almost like, I don't know how often this happens to people, but the blessing of that moment was that it was almost like an addictive experience. Like I couldn't stop. Uh-huh. Like I couldn't stop going to Steve Blank's <laughs> weekly lectures. I couldn't, this was in <laughs> 2010, right? I couldn't stop going to the meetups. I couldn't stop reading all the blogs that Eric was publishing. I was just so into it. And so that drove me a little bit crazy because now I was in this dilemma of like this fork in the road. Do I keep going in this direction? Because now I'm reading only about this and not really publishing yeah. the psychology stuff that will get me promoted to the next professor stage. And so I just thought, okay, what I'll do is I'll keep my day job. I'll, I'll come back to England, keep my day job. Yeah. And I'll do an MBA. I thought that's what you did when you knew how to get into business. <laughs> right. So the university where I worked at, they, when, if you're a professor there, you get to do the MBA for half price. Nice. Or free, depending on like what negotiations you did. So I, I did, it, it took me two years. First year was half price. Second year was free. And so I got like a free and a half.
0: Free and a MBA. half. <laughs>
1: <laughs> right. And while I'm doing that, I'm also doing other things that were a little bit insane. I got in touch with every lean startup person I could get in touch with. I don't know whether you know Sal and Rob Fitzpatrick, right? Mm-hmm. Here in the UK, I would go wherever they were hanging out and just follow them around. I was volunteering for free to coach at the Lean Startup Machine. And then like after they see me coach well, maybe they'll ask me to do like one of the kickoff talks. Yeah. So I started giving those kickoff talks for free. I started doing a little bit of blogging, but not that much. I wasn't knowledgeable enough yet, but I was just like doing free stuff. I remember even going to Amsterdam because there was like a version of Lee Setup Machine that was happening in Rotterdam in giving speeches there for free. And the thing I distinctly remember about that was that they bought me my plane ticket and I had 50 cents in my pocket. And so they bought me my plane ticket and my train ticket. Now I only had 50 cents. That's all that I had. Like, wow. I was that broke back in those days. I just, all the money was going into looking after the kids. And I had 50 cents in my pocket. And I arrived at the event at about 11 p.m. And all the food was gone. Because I knew that at these events, they have pizzas and stuff. Whoa. And I was like, I got, <laughs> you got to give me some food. <laughs> and, so, <laughs> and so the organizer was like, okay, okay. So then they took me down to the kebab shop and bought me dinner. Like, that's how it was back then, right? Right. It was just like hand to mouth living, you know, but I was so kind of focused on becoming an expert in this field that I just like went out into the world and learned as much as I could and created a connection.
0: Yeah. It's really interesting, right? There's a theme here in these stories and in, in these forever employable stories. And it's fascinating because the people that I've been talking to are from all over the place, right? So you're an academic and an innovation consultant an entrepreneur and a writer. I've talked to a celebrity photographer. I've talked to a heavy metal guitarist, right? And when you look at these folks and, the platforms that they've built for themselves, the word perseverance comes up over and over and over again. To me, it's this interesting theme, this thread that I'm seeing in these conversations. I mean, you just said it yourself, right? I wanted to learn everything that I could about this. I worked for free. I had 50 cents in my pocket, right? I went to the meetups to get the food, right? Like that, <laughs> like that kind of thing. But there's a perseverance there that pays off after a bunch of time, right? And yeah. so, I mean, do you consider yourself an entrepreneur? today? I'm not entrepreneur, right? In terms of like founding stuff,
1: but I consider of entrepreneurial, like I'm willing to try stuff. Yeah. Yeah. I'm willing to kind of step out. So there's like, I don't want to take too much credit, right? Because I also really understand what my motivations are. I understand yeah. like the things that drive me. And the things that drive me are family, like my commitment to my family. And so yeah. Yeah, I'll step out and try and create as much stability as I can. Also my background, right? I mean, I'm from Zimbabwe. I grew up in Africa, you know, this. if you've ever seen poverty, right? So Right. You know, I also know, so there's a, I have an energy, it's almost like a force that kind of pushes me towards trying things and kind of just keeping on attempting things. And it's almost in that, that you kind of encounter your blessing, right? So yeah. certain things then start to fall. So I'm a Christian, so you'll hear me say blessing a lot. So certain mm-hmm. things start to sort of happen for you. And so like the luck preparation thing that you talk about, Yeah. For, for me, it's almost like backwards, right? It's almost for me as a Christian, the belief is that you get your blessing and then. You've got to nurture it. Right. right. So there's work to do. You don't actually just sort of get the opportunity and then sort of go, right. all ah, right, here's everything. Let me wait for the next opportunity. Right. <laughs> you know, I'm gonna pick up a bag of money walking down the road. The thing that then helped me was all these free talks. I ended up giving a free talk at a Lean Startup event. And then I met Craig Strong at this Lean Startup event. Oh, yeah, I know Craig. Right. Yeah. Exactly. So and the first time I met you, I was with Craig. Right. At the Lean U.S. conference in London, you were the host to the most. I was <laughs> on the, the host, yeah. <laughs> yeah, that's, that's the first time I met you. And I gave that keynote with the m M&M and metaphor in it, remember?
0: I do remember, yes. <laughs> yeah.
1: Yes. So, but all of that stuff happens because of, of Craig, who I met at this one Lean Startup event, Lean Startup London event, while I was talking, again for free. And I also distinctly right. remember the night I met him because my wife was in Zimbabwe, and I had to drop off my son at at my auntie's house Uh so she could watch him while I gave the keynote and then go pick (laughs) him up. And it's a free keynote. And then go pick him up and then drive home, you know, that night. (laughs) But I met Craig that night, and then Craig invited me to come and give a keynote at Pearson. Ah, great. And then we hosted you at Pearson. That same keynote that you gave in that series, that's the same one that I gave. Ah, (laughs) nice. (laughs) And that's what got me to meet Sonia. Got it. That was in the moment when the break happened. That was the, that and was to the be fair, big yeah.
0: Sonia Son- Son Krasievich from Pearson and you guys did a lot of great work together. Yeah. I have a question for you. So this is an interesting one because this is one I get asked a lot. So your story is interesting in a lot of ways. Your motivation is very similar to mine, family, right? Lifestyle, like want to make sure I can keep feeding my kids, right? That kind of thing. All the stuff that you've done is risky. Right? Leaving academia, moving to Stanford, doing the stuff for free, moving back to the UK, doing an MBA. Can you give an example? Can you share a story about how you mitigated some of that risk? How did you make sure that, like, if I moved to Stanford and this whole thing falls apart, was there a safety net? How did you mitigate some of this risk?
1: Yeah, so that's interesting, right? Because I have a family, I could never step away from, even as little right. as I earn, right? I could never stop earning. So yeah. everything that I've done, I've done working extra hours. So I was still teaching at university when I was doing all that lean startup stuff, going to give keynotes, speaking yeah. at Pearson and all that. I was still then waking up in the morning and going to teach class. Yeah. And I needed to keep earning. And so the best way to, to build a business, I guess, if you're like our age and you have good kids is to either have a really big nest egg and then walk away from everything. So that's the way I worked it. And when I went to Stanford, it was a fellowship. So it was paid for. Right. Oh, so my family, I could pay rent. I could get food. And my job back in England was guaranteed when I came back because you just take leave to go on a fellowship, right? You know, academics are allowed to do that. So then you come back. And then when I finally ended up working at Pearson, I didn't just quit. I negotiated a sabbatical from the university for a year. And then I went away and worked at Pearson. And then only after the year did I go, okay,
0: I think
1: there's something there. And then I quit my job.
0: Got it. Got it. Got it. That's great. That's great. So look, I a couple more questions. Really, I want to talk about your writing and the books that you've written, especially your most recent one. There's three things I want to talk about left. So I want to talk about writing and your current book. I want to talk about building a network. I'm curious what you've found to be helpful in building a network. And then the last thing I want to talk about is kind of staying forever employable in a coronavirus pandemic world. Like how do we keep going? Right. So let's talk about your current book. So your most current book is called pirates in the navy pirates in the navy based on a steve jobs quote uh, yeah. quote correct yeah, and see, what's the book
1: about and so the book is about how innovators or entrepreneurs that are working inside large organizations how they can build a bridge between the work that they do and the way that their large company operates because there's been a lot of talk about being pirates be more pirates it's a really great book but i think what people do is they take that to the extreme they start to view themselves in a sort of antagonistic fashion to the company that they work for. Right. So I'm saying, well, you can't really just be a pirate or be in the Navy. you got to be a pirate in the Navy. Right. So it's about how we build legitimacy and power and influence for entrepreneurs that are inside large organizations.
0: Got it. Amazing. And the book's currently out, correct? Yeah. Yeah. So the book came out two weeks ago. Excellent. Congratulations. Thank you. Thank you. How hard that is, which is amazing. Let me ask you a question. Why write a book? So the first book I wrote, The Corporate Startup, I wrote it because I needed to plant a flag.
1: It's a phrase that you use. Yeah. And when I heard you use that phrase, I was like, that's what that was. Right. Right. I knew that I wanted to become the people that I admired. I knew that I wanted to become Jeff Gothelf. I knew I wanted to become (laughs) Eric Grease. I knew I wanted to become Alex Osterwalder. I just knew that. And I remember saying that to my wife over and over again. I want what those cats are doing because I know I can do yeah. it as well. I've got the same skill set, but nobody knows who I am, so I've got to build a reputation. So how do you build that? Well, I'm going to move away from startups because that's the space I've been operating in. Yeah. And I'm going to go into the corporate space because I got lucky enough to work with Sonia and learn how that works. Yeah. So this book, the corporate setup, and I worked so hard on that book because I wanted it to be I wanted it to be a big plant, like when you <laughs> like put right. it into the ground like that, and so. That's why I write. Writing for me is reputation building. On my Trello, there's a board that's called reputation building. And it's oh, got all the things that I'm doing to build reputation, from articles
0: to webinars to books. I'm not going to let you hand wave over that stuff. So I want to know specifically right. what's like. You don't have to tell me that it's super minutiae, but I'm curious. So for yeah. reputation building, what's in your Trello board? For, like the kinds of activities? Like, so the kinds of activities
1: about? in my Trello board for reputation building are the Forbes, the uh-huh. way I write, where I'm a contributor. I'm always working on more than one book. Uh I've never had a chance to work on just one book. It's weird. I've always got like two books on the go. go.
0: I feel like I know that about you.
1: (laughs) (laughs) It's it's kind of strange, right? Yeah. So so I've got the books that I'm writing. And then I've got the blogging that I do as well on the Strategizer blog post. Then I've got anything where I'm invited to either give a webinar or give a talk. All of that is coded under reputation building. And reputation building for me is the first thing I do every morning. Wow. Before I dive into workshops or any paid work, there's two hours blocked off every morning for just the reputation building. Stuff. Wow. Either writing or preparing the keynotes for the workshop, for the keynote, for the speeches I'm going to give, or writing the articles, having a call with my co-authors, whatever it is. But it's all like the morning is just for reputation building. It's the thing that I need the most, the gravity.
0: Amazing. Amazing. That was super interesting. Really, really. Thank you for sharing that. Okay. So how do you build your network? So- that one's going
1: to be a disappointing answer because I'm really bad at it. You're bad at it. Yeah. Yeah. So I took, I took the approach that I'm going to be so good at my craft. Yeah. I'm going to show the world that I'm so good at my craft and that's the network. Right. But I don't have any, I don't have a mailing list. I don't have any of those things that people, clever people should do. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but right. I just haven't really gotten to it yet. I don't know whether are smart or not. I'm sure it'll come to bite me one day. Yeah. Yeah, I'm quite confident it'll bite me one day. It's something that I should do, but
0: yeah. yeah. Look, I mean, but the reputation building work that you're doing is not a mailing list, right? But you're writing, you're blogging, you're teaching, you're speaking. That's great.
1: I've always found that leading with craft and reputation makes it easy to network rather than just turning up and going, hey, let's have some coffee. I always find that people that are actually important enough that you want to talk to them, they don't have time to hang out with you. And so they need to kind of already know that they want to talk to you before they meet you. And then that makes it easy.
0: Ah, super interesting. So this opens doors too, right? So yeah. the, refu- the reputation opens doors.
1: Yeah, Right. That's what it's for, right? Also, you know, being an ethnic minority, I sometimes just have to lead with reputation in certain conversations.
0: That, right. It's really helpful. Right. Makes sense. All right. So, exactly. hey, crazy world we live in these days, right? It's not one thing. It's another. And currently we've got, we're in the middle of this coronavirus pandemic, lockdowns, worlds are upside down. Before we hit record on this, you and I were talking about how we're busy. You know, there's folks who are not busy, but you and I are busy. And I'm curious how the things that you've been doing are keeping you busy and helping you stay, you know, forever employable during a pandemic. You know, how's work finding you these days? Yeah. So, I mean, we've been very fortunate. Again, fortunate is a word I use a lot because I understand that yeah.
1: if you've got a certain kind of job, sometimes the thing just closes and then you can't work. Whereas for us, it's with knowledge workers. So it's been useful. A lot of our clients have agreed that the stuff that we're doing with them face to face, they're happy to carry on doing with us virtually. And so, I mean, I am speaking to you right now. And in an hour from here, we're doing the virtual masterclass. Right. 120 people have signed up? Wow. Right. And that was something that we thought was a lost form of revenue for us this year. But now we're thinking about hosting two or three more. And so this sort of confluence, if you want to say, like this meeting point between like what I do and ability to do it using technology. has kind of benefited the work that I do. So I guess, I don't know whether that's forever employable. I mean, imagine one day if there's a crisis where the Internet is down.
0: Yeah, that would be tough. (laughs) Yeah, Yeah,
1: right. Yeah. And so that's another, uh, right. you live in one of those countries where the government locks the internet and then you got, so there's always challenges. So the goal with building a mm. reputation is to have it such that people are willing to take risks with you. Mm. So that's they're willing to say, okay, so this has failed because of this change that's happened, but we still want to work with you. So let's try this. Right. And this ability for people to say, let's try this might be the thing that, you know, the reputation, because they <laughs> want to work with you so much, they're willing to try mm. things with you that's probably how the reputation might save you, right?
0: Yeah. That's amazing. I well, mean, for
1: the record, and you need to keep this in, there is an element of this, which is also, you know, you don't want to exaggerate the power of the human. I'm like, I'm not Ayn Rand, right, Atlas. Yeah. <laughs> there's also a lot of blessing that goes on, like, you know, born where you are, meeting the people you meet, you know, like Warren Buffett says, right? There's a lot of blessing that comes to the situation. And then you got to work your blessing because a lot of people that are blessed that then don't yeah the blessing right
0: and so absolutely
1: absolutely a of, yeah, of those two things
0: community networks the people that you meet right you never know which is great Tenda, that was amazing thank you so much for sharing your story thanks for sharing all those anecdotes i haven't laughed this much in an interview in a long time so that's awesome i really enjoyed this and again just pirates in the navy as your new book go out and grab it thanks again for talking to me and telling me your forever employable story all right thank you jeff really enjoyed the conversation Hey, it's Jeff. Thanks again for joining me for this episode of Forever Employable Stories. If you enjoyed the show and learned something new, tell a friend. The best way you can help us grow is to subscribe to the podcast on your favorite platform and send this episode to someone you think can benefit from it. As always, feel free to reach out and connect on LinkedIn. I'd love to hear from you. Do you know someone who has a great Forever Employable story? Someone who has built a platform and an audience using their unique skills and experience? If so, I want to talk to them. Send me a note at jeff at and let me know.